Welcome to Take Care. This is the podcast that helps you understand the background and habits of change makers. Host Rish Sharma and his guests give you the wisdom to help you learn a little more and get a bit better every episode. Hey everyone, welcome to Take Care. Today's guest is Eva Goikachea, the CEO of Mod which is disrupting the sexual wellness industry by focusing on quality, simplicity, and inclusivity. Welcome, Eva. Really excited to have you here. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here in a very interesting time. Yes, definitely an interesting time. But if you could just introduce yourself to the audience, give your backstory, what led you to start MOD and that journey. Yeah, so I started Mod, or I started thinking about and working on Mod in 2015. So it's been about five years. The company has been around two years. We launched in 2018. And the road that led me there was the quick story is that I have kind of two chapters of my career. The first was that I was a legislative aide in healthcare, which I fell into. And that's a story for a different time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I ended up going into marketing, which is what I studied. And I ended up working for a few product companies, including Everlane, which is where I worked last. And I ran social media culture and hiring. And so my whole career basically can be summed up that I've been really a people-focused person. And so it's really interesting to have a company now that is very much trying to bring humanity and destigmatization back to an industry that just has for so long not really reflected how real people are. So yeah, Mod is a modern intimacy company, and I think I'm well-equipped to run it because I feel like those two parts of my life kind of work well together for this. Yeah, no, that gives a great backstory on your background and what led you to start that. But was there any particular triggering point that made you open to starting a brand new business in this industry, which has kind of been stale for decades? Yeah, I mean, so... When I left Everlane, I started working with clients. I thought that I would go to another company and I couldn't find a company I was really as excited about as I was Everlane. And I left the company because they were closing their LA office and moving to San Francisco and I didn't want to uproot my life. So cut to, I started a small watch company with my husband, Ian, and two other founders. And we all had a conversation one day about sexual wellness and why has this been the one industry that hasn't had basically the D to C perspective sort of brought to it. Mm -hmm. And it's the one area in our lives that probably needs the most help and needs the most updating because the industry is really dominated by these very old legacy companies. So as soon as that conversation happened, I was like, this is a really interesting idea. I wonder what it would really take to do it. And I started working on it. And Nobody else wanted to say that they started a condom company. I was the only one that was really excited by it. And again, because of like where I had come from and I was just really interested in public health anyway. So I think it was just like this serendipitous moment. And then here we are. Oh, that's great. So thanks for giving that clarity. If somebody else was in that same position, you know, they were triggered by this great idea and they wanted to take that leap of faith or debating whether to take that leap of faith into entrepreneurship, what advice would you give them in evaluating it and what to expect from entrepreneurship? Well, (laughs) we are now in a very, even I would say from a couple of weeks ago, we're in a very different time. The DTC world especially has seen a lot of companies crumble. So when I think of entrepreneurship, I'm always thinking about product companies. I think in general, if you sort of apply the broader rules of entrepreneurship, they're kind of similar in that you have to think about is your idea for your company, whether it's service or a product necessary in the world? 
Because if you, especially going through the COVID crisis, Mm -hmm. the companies that are surviving are the ones that are still needed. So that's one thing. I think too, it's, is there a way for you to get it off the ground and successfully create a business model and unit economics that will last? A lot of companies were built not to last. They spent a lot of money, didn't have a solvent business. So that's the second piece of advice. And then I think the third piece of advice, and you know, I have lots of discussion with friends and family about this, is like, are you ready to give your entire life up? Because all I think about is my company and it pisses off everyone around me. <laughs> but but I, I can't, you can't think of anything else. You signed up for this and you feel so, so responsible. And so that's how I would think of it. It's like, is it needed? Is it a good business idea? And are you ready? I think that's pretty cogent and simple for most people as they reflect on it. So thank you for giving that valuable advice. So just like you mentioned that you are generally, in most areas of your life, you try to be a people person or are a people person. And one of the interviews that you said about Maud was that people is first and sex is human. So if you just describe what that meant in the context of who you are as a person. I think growing up, like I always had friends that were, I kind of was friends with everybody as a very like clear example in high school. I went to a Catholic high school and my class was 150 people. And for my 15th birthday, my mom said, you can have a party with a few of your friends. And I invited the entire class. And luckily we had a big backyard. My mom was really, she was upset with me, but I thought you have to be inclusive. So I think really this idea of being inclusive and trying to connect with people in ways that we all have sort of the common things that we all share is really how I've been my whole life. It's just kind of my nature. I think as it applies to sex, when you look at the industry, it's always been very positioned for like a younger demographic, mostly a college age demographic. Mm -hmm. It's very misogynistic and it's just doesn't really reflect real people's relationships typically, even if they're single. Mm -hmm. So I try to apply like, how can I bring common feelings around sex to the table when we're building this company? Like what are common experiences? How do people feel? What kind of stigmas most of us faced with, et cetera. So just finding ways to speak to people in like a really human, kind, compassionate way. And that's really what we try to do with Maud. Thank you for breaking down. So how did you approach talking to people about such an intimate topic and open them up to give their preferences as you surveyed the space? So what's interesting is I don't know that there are a lot of companies, I mean, I do know, but there aren't a lot of companies out there like Maud. And so our audience is quite broad, which means that we make sure that the questions are like very, again, like to use the word universal, they're, they're just universal and very matter of fact. And that helps get people to talk about things because it doesn't feel like you're leading them to one answer or you're trying to get them to, it feels like the, the feedback that they've given us has been really honest. And we also survey them in a way that's like, what do you want to see? We give them a chance to say what they need. So that's really helped. I think if you're going to build a company, it was interesting. I was talking to another founder yesterday and he's thinking about his product roadmap. And I was like, why don't you just ask your community? What else are they doing right now? Like they could probably use something to distract them for five minutes, like just send out a survey. So that's how I think about it is like putting it back to everybody and democratizing the process. Yeah. I think it's using the process of just Serving your audience, right? Being that people person, being a people-centric business. So what is that experience that you're looking for and that feeling you're looking to give each of your customers? I think I want them to feel really empowered and I want them to feel like they were spoken to or they received products that made them feel comfortable and that they feel like just self-care 
you know, everybody uses the word self-care now, and I think it's probably overused, but in this case, it really is obviously a very intimate thing. And so feeling like you can take care of your sexual wellness in a way that's really comfortable for you is really important. And I also make a joke often, which is like, we've all been there. We've all stood on the aisle, the sexual wellness aisle or family planning as they like to call it. And you're like, I'm too old for this. This is embarrassing. Um, And you're simultaneously feeling completely degraded and completely confused while also feeling strangely too old for it. And I think there's just this need for us to create products that make people feel disarmed and excited to think about their sex life. So that's how we Mm -hmm. approach it. Yeah, I think definitely right. There's always this, like, all those movies that you hear when you're, like, a teenager that you watch, they kind of, like, come back to you as you're going through that moment sometimes, you know? Yes. So definitely needs to be more approachable for sure. So you've been able to garner a lot of press early on in the history of mod. Is there any strategy or tips that you would give to young entrepreneurs out there right, looking to get some PR? Yeah, I think that the one thing you have to remember, well, we're kind of in a different world with PR now. So mm-hmm. obviously all industries are strained at the moment, especially the publishing industry. And what they're looking for is affiliate content so that there's an ROI on them writing. So what we've experienced as a company is that a lot of press teams They might not necessarily have somebody on their team who deals with affiliate is basically they'll write about you and they will get a percentage of sales through like a trackable link. Mm -hmm. That's where we've won because we foster these relationships directly with writers. A lot of them need to prove viability of their content. And so they're excited to write about us and know that they're going to get an affiliate cut. So Mm -hmm. I think the best advice I can give people, long story short, is to try to foster those relationships yourself because you're going to be the one that can negotiate affiliate. And you also simultaneously are building just general press relationships. Find the editor who's written about the topic that your company falls under, Mm -hmm. email them a nice email and start to build the relationship. I don't think that the secret sauce lies with press teams. I think it's just a lot of work. And so you have to decide if you're willing to pay for someone else to do the work or if you want to do it. But I think there's a lot of upside to keeping it in-house. I think it's great advice, especially. In I know I talk a lot. Time. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It's great. And the other thing we noticed with the way you talked about mod and kind of delivering that experience was design was very important, that customer experience. So what is design in today and kind of where will it go now that we're in this whole new paradigm, do you think? I mean, I think that design is important in that you need to be top of mind. Like if you are a company that doesn't have a clear aesthetic or a clear mission, it's really hard for consumers to remember you. So design functions in a number of ways. And one of them is just to make sure that they understand what you're selling or understand what you're doing. So definitely take that part seriously. I'm happy to share some resources with you to link out to your community on like where to find, yeah, where to find design inspiration, et cetera. So that's one thing. And I think the second thing about design is that it ends up, if you create great design that is rooted in sort of form meets function, I think that you end up being a company that outlasts other companies. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people will launch companies that are very of the now and it's great and it's exciting for a time. And then after a while, it becomes quickly dated. So with Mod, we've tried to do something that, sure, it feels like of the now, but there's also something about it that's a bit timeless. And that's Mm -hmm. really important to find that balance. And is there a particular example in how you executed that you could share with the audience? I think it's through primarily like through the ease of use of all the products. Like obviously we're using off-the-shelf packaging because it's very expensive to do custom packaging when you're a new company. But what we tried to do was find the packaging that 
really spoke to what we stand for, which is simplicity. So making sure that it was easy to use will evolve the packaging eventually, but the lubricants will always have a pump top. The condoms will always be in the buttercup packaging, which simply means you open it and you know which way is up. Mm-hmm. So those are really small details that we sort of stick to because we believe that it makes the consumer experience easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for us, it's just those like little details that matter. I think those little details is what makes the difference between retention of a customer versus not. So definitely very important. So I'd just like to move on to some of the final questions. And so we like to review people's routines, rituals, habits that they go through in their life. And so if you could share some of your morning routine or certain rituals in your life that get you prepared to make the change that you're making with Mod. Yeah, so I I try to keep the mornings really simple. Sometimes I'll make decisions the night before, like what I'm going to eat for lunch and what I'm going to wear. I'll pack my lunch. And then in the morning, I usually, so we have four pets, which is always fun, but I'll get up in the morning, try to do a bit of exercise. Sometimes I'll go out with my husband and take the dog for a walk. He's really good about taking them. And then just, I eat a little something after I have gotten ready and then I head out the door. I think for me, the morning I wake up really early, but I don't tend to be somebody that wants to do too much in the morning. I want to make sure it's really easy to get out the door. And then I, like, for instance, I'd rather clean the house at night or I'd rather do something I need to get done at night around here. So the morning for me is like the simpler, the better. And yeah, that's it. Then I just head on my way. My office is about a mile away and it's a pretty easy commute. (laughs) That's great. For New York. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And is there any way that you came about to realizing that keeping the morning simple and keeping some of the house stuff for the evening was better off? Or was it just something you've always done? It's kind of something I've always done. I mean, I used to work from home. Obviously, now I'm working from home for the time being. But I used to work from home. And I think that having a routine is really important for your sense of well-being. And also just in terms of like time management, not mixing it up too much, knowing that if you really are going to go outside for a run or you're going to do something, you're going to have to like wake up at a certain hour and try to like consistently do that. I'm not a total morning person, even though I wake up early. It's not like I like always love the morning, but I, mm-hmm. I really do try to recognize that if I'm going to like have a good morning, it's got to start early. Yeah. Thank you for breaking that down. So the next question is, what does personal care mean to you? I think personal care means having the option to like take some time for yourself, whether that's actually using personal care. So if it's having a nice bath or taking care of yourself in general, or just spending time doing the things you love, whether that's like painting or reading or going on a bike ride, something else. I think personal care is all about how do you make time for yourself to be recharged, whatever that means to you. In this current time, you know, I think a lot of people are taking this advantage to do that. So is there anything that while people are at home right now that you would recommend them to try for themselves? (laughs) I would just say, I haven't taken this advice, but I definitely think it's a good idea is to like get back into reading. I brought home my giant computer and it's sitting on the kitchen table. And I can tell you that I'm way worse about turning work off now. But I really think that given that we're all at home now, it's like pick up a book, try to get your mind off of the news and and take some time. Yeah. Is there any particular book you'd recommend somebody to pick up? If I actually tell you the book that I'm reading you're going, like, I picked up, I have the book Flu, which is about the flu, and I was going to read, but no, I don't know what anyone should read. I read a lot of nonfiction. I don't really read fiction, and if anybody has, like, great fiction recommendations, I'm all ears. Okay. Great to know. If anybody in the audience has some recommendations, please send them over. And we have two more questions. Is there a particular myth or something you'd like to debunk in your current industry that's out there? 
Yes, actually. We, especially as a female founder, I constantly get asked, like, how does it feel to run a female-focused business? Sex is human. It is not gendered. Stop calling it gendered. (laughs) You know, I think these companies that are like, we make condoms for men, or they're like, we make condoms for women. It's like, this is bullshit. I'm sorry, excuse my language, but sex is human. So that's the one thing I want to see change in this industry is that I don't know what it is, but when I try to explain that we're gender agnostic, that we're just sex, people don't get it. Yeah, it's something definitely for change. And I think the trends are definitely moving in that direction in terms of the audience. So over time, I'm sure it will play out in your favor. And final question, if you were to have a dinner party with three other people, dead or alive, who would you invite and why? Oh, who would I like? Who would I have at a dinner party? I think Jane Goodall. If I could have done something else in my life, it would probably have been going to study primates. So mm-hmm. Jane Goodall for sure. I think maybe an old relative. It would be interesting mm-hmm. to know more about your family if you had access to somebody in your family. And then I had always also wanted to be an architect. I was really a fan and am really a fan. He's still alive of Rem Koolhaas. Mm-hmm. So being able to talk buildings, history, and monkeys would be a great dinner party in my opinion. I think, yeah, that sounds, sounds like a great dinner party for sure. Any <laughs> Anything in particular you would serve? I don't know. Well, probably be vegetarian. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for making the time to do this. If anybody in the audience wanted to connect with you or Maud, where can they connect online? If you go to getmod.com or instagram.com forward slash getmod. That's okay. And then for yourself? It's my whole name. That's where I am on Instagram. It's Eva Goykochea. Okay. And that will be in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for making the time to do this. We really appreciate it. And thank you. Thank you so much. 